SBS Radio. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today, Aboriginal leaders say there are big problems with the way Victoria's Stolen Generations Redress Scheme is operating, saying that the scheme is re-traumatising people. About 1,200 people in Victoria are eligible for the state's redress scheme, but as of October, less than 500 had lodged their applications with only 117 payments issued figures well behind other jurisdictions with similar schemes. In the program, we'll explore how Victoria's Stolen Generations Redress Scheme is re-traumatising people and some of the reasons behind the backlog. Also, we're just about three weeks away from the return of Blacktivism in Victoria, an event presenting a lineup of living legends and rising voices of First Nations musical activism. Bachelor's songman Fred Leone will join us. Fred Leone will be emceeing the event and he'll be telling us how the one-night event promises to be a night of truth-telling of the black activist movements in Australia. Also on NITV Radio today, we explore the self-harm summit that just took place in Sydney. All these stories and many more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandame Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Bulletin Kumanjai Woka inquest resumes after break over anniversary over the fatal shooting. Flood warnings issued across New South Wales and Victoria. And at least six people are dead and dozens injured in a suspected terror attack in Istanbul. The coronial inquest into the death of 19-year-old Kumanjai Walker resumes today after a week-long break. Proceedings paused to mark three years since Mr. Walker was shot dead by Constable Zakari Rolf in the town of Uendumu, 300 kilometers northwest of Alice Springs. The inquest is expected to sit form informally in Uendumu for two days, where the coroner and lawyers from each party will visit sites significant to the inquest and hear from community members. Witnesses will resume giving evidence to the coroner in Alice Springs later this week, with the court expected to hear evidence from Constable Rolf from Wednesday. 
Video footage obtained by the ABC Four Corners shows officers using a controversial restraining technique on children in Western Australia's Banksia Hill Youth Detention Facility. Body cam footage shows five officers restraining a juvenile detainee using the folding up technique where an officer twists the boy's legs until they are crossed behind him and then sits on them. The boy whose name has been withheld can be heard telling officers he can't breathe. The folding up technique has been banned in Queensland youth detention centres after a review found it posed a risk of suffocation and death. The Western Australian Department of Justice said in a statement that the technique was only authorised for officers to use as a last resort in the most extreme circumstances for as little time as possible where there is a safety risk to staff and other detainees. Heavy rain across parts of Victoria and New South Wales has led to dangerous flooding with many being told to evacuate. Some 100 emergency flood warnings are in place across New South Wales and some 80 warnings in Victoria. The New South Wales State Emergency Service has responded to 33 flood rescues and over 400 requests for help in the 24 hours to Monday morning. Tim Webush from ACS Victoria has told the ABC people must not drive through flood waters. There's currently a watch and act out for Mount Martha and the Mornington communities where we've seen 40 to 50 mils in just a couple of hours this morning that's resulted in flash flooding, uh, 140 requests for assistance just in that area alone, 23 flood rescues in that area. So again, we can't emphasise enough this morning, if you come across water across the roads, do not attempt to drive through it. It may be the last decision you make. Thousands of homes and businesses in Adelaide could remain without power until well into Tuesday following a wild storm. SA Power says the storm was so powerful it caused more than 310 outages and about 500 power lines came down. It is seeking support from Interstate to help with the restoration of power. This man says the power cut cut out when a tree came down outside his home. They heard this crack and... Just come down, and then the lights went out, and then there's big ball of uh, uh, sparks, and thought, oh my goodness! Early voting opens in Victoria today, ahead of the state election on November the 26th. The state's electoral commission is preparing for more than 50% of the state's 4.4 million enrolled voters to cast their ballot before election day. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews is hoping to be elected for a third term amid rising energy costs and an under-pressure hospital system. We've got a plan to bring back the State Electricity Commission and to replace those big companies with government-owned renewable energy, not for profit but for people, to put downward pressure on prices and to do the right thing for the planet. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese is heading to Bali for the G20 summit where anticipation is building for a potential meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. President Xi has already confirmed a planned meeting on the sidelines of the G20 with US President Joe Biden, but the question remains as to whether he will also grant Mr Albanese an audience. If a meeting between the two does go ahead, it will be the first time leaders of Australia and China have gathered for official bilateral talks in six years. When asked about Australia's relationship with China ahead of the summit, Mr Albanese had this to say. I've said repeatedly about the relationship with China that we should cooperate where we can and that dialogue is always a good thing. 
Six people have been killed and 81 others wounded after an explosion rocked a busy pedestrian street in central Istanbul. Istiklal Avenue in the Beyoglu district of Istanbul, Turkey's largest city, was crowded as usual at the weekend with shoppers, tourists and families. Turkish President Tayyip Recep Erdogan says the bomb attack smells like terrorism. Our nation should be sure that the perpetrators will be punished as they deserve by revealing all the elements in front of and behind the incident on Istiklal Street. He said investigations were ongoing by the police and the governor's office, including reviewing footage of the area. Turkish President, Vice President Fuat Oktay says the authorities are evaluating it as an act of terror, result of the detonation of a bomb by an attacker whom is considered to be a woman. In the United States, the Democrats have retained majority control of the Senate after claiming victory in the state of Nevada. Republican Jim Merchant, who helped organize candidates under the America First banner, lost his bid to become the state's top election official to Democrat Chris Aguilar. The result gives the Democrats 50 Senate seats with the Republicans only 49. Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says now the real work begins. This is a very happy day. We won because the American people rejected the kinds of autocracy that the some the MAGA Republicans, a wing of that party, was talking about. Let me say that. We were on the edge of autocracy. And thank God the American people pulled us back in this election. The state of Georgia will hold a runoff election next month after neither candidate won an outright majority. At the COP27 climate summit, the government of Tuvalu has raised its concerns about climate change. A small Pacific island of 11,000 inhabitants, Tuvalu is threatened by sea levels rising to the point that the entire country could disappear. Speaking on the sidelines of the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Tuvalu's Minister of Finance, Seve Payenu, talked about the country's plan to preserve its existence. So we have a heritage project. We're a compilation of our rich culture and uniqueness, our identity, to advocate and promote for preservation of our cultural heritage. Then we will use that compilation to apply to become a member of the UNESCO Convention on Cultural Heritage. Mr. Payenu hopes that if the entire country is designated a heritage site, then he can seek an international settlement to preserve its sovereignty. Tuvalu's highest point is only four and a half meters above sea level, and the country hopes to keep its maritime zone even if the islands were to be submerged. Back home, pharmacists in New South Wales will now have the power to diagnose and prescribe some medications without a GP consult. The measure will be trialled for 12 months from today and will apply to medicines like birth control, antibiotics for urinary tract infections and skin condition treatments. The move has drawn criticism from the Australian Medical Association, but the state's health minister, Brad Hazard, has told the Nine Network the treatments are necessary. Anybody who's ever had a UTI, and it's mostly women, um, would know that uh, urinary tract infection is hellishly painful. If you have to wait a day 
let alone six to eight weeks mm. to get the to get the antibiotic. That's just it's actually you can't. There's no justification for that. So the the bottom line here is we will make sure it works. We'll do it safely, and of course it's under review. It's a pilot. I think uh, the GPs, uh, the organisations that represent them, um, are speaking up. But I think they also need to just uh, take a chill pill. And to sport, Samoa have become have made history as the first Tier Two nation to make it to the Rugby League World Cup final after a golden point win over England at London's Emirates Stadium. With scores locked, 2020 Penrith centre Stephen Christon took a field goal from 30 metres out in extra time to land the match-winning play for the Pacific nation. Samoa, who came into the tournament ranked as the eighth nation in the world, will now take on Australia next Sunday in their first World. Cup final. Samoan coach Matt Parrish says his team are an inspiration. Oh, I think the whole group's special. Like the, a lot of these Penrith boys coming off grand finals, uh, our captain, pe- people playing out of position, injuries, tough calls, never say die attitude, unbelievable. So proud. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a partly cloudy day, top of 97, Perth, sunny 26, Adelaide, showers easing 18, Melbourne, showers 20, Hobart, showers 17, Albury-Wodonga, cloudy day 18, Canberra, rain easing 19 degrees, Wollongong, a shower or two, then sunny, top of 27, Sydney, similar forecast under top of 30 degrees, Newcastle, showers easing 31, Brisbane, partly cloudy 31, Townsville, partly cloudy 30 degrees, Cairns, similar conditions under top of 32, Alice Springs, a sunny day ahead, 29 degrees, Darwin, a shower of 2 and 33, and the Torres Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day under top of 32 degrees, and that is NITV Radio News. Coming up next on NITV Radio, we'll explore how Victoria's stolen, generation re- stolen Generations Redress Scheme is experiencing an exceptionally, an exceptionally lengthy backlog and is viewed by many Aboriginal leaders as actually re-traumatising people. We also hear about the upcoming Black Activism event in Victoria, a night of truth-telling of the Black Activist movements in Australia. Also on NITV Radio, we'll explore the self-harm summit that just took place in Sydney. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Aboriginal leaders say there are big problems with the way Victoria's Stolen Generations Redress Scheme is operating, claiming it is re-traumatising people. The man who led the design of the scheme is urging the Victorian government to listen up. Emma Callaway has the details. Seven months after Victoria launched its redress scheme for survivors of the stolen generations, concerns are being voiced about its operation. The scheme brought into effect a key recommendation in the Bringing Them Home report from 25 years ago, which detailed the impact of the forced removal of Indigenous children from their families under government policies between 1910 and the 1970s. To make redress, the report said a scheme should be established across all jurisdictions of Australia and should feature monetary compensation, an apology and measures of restitution and rehabilitation. 
Yorta Yorta Jarjarung woman Muriel Bamblett is CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency, which runs the link-up service reconnecting Aboriginal family members who were separated through child removal policies. She says she has heard firsthand how people encounter difficulties with getting the help they need. It's quite mean-spirited in the way that it's being operated. If it's just about ticking a box and filling out forms, then not understanding what our Aboriginal people have lost throughout this process. I think we're not only grieving the fact that, you know, lost um, family, lost connection to culture, lost community, but, you know, the isolation... Applicants can get a $100,000 payment and a personal apology, but Miss Bamblett says applicants have been re-traumatised by the application process. The late elder, Uncle Jack Charles, said he was re-traumatised when he was asked to prove his Aboriginality, despite the state government being responsible for producing documents. Miss Bamblett says the process needs to be implemented in a way that is more culturally appropriate. If we ran the process ourselves, would we run it differently? Yes, we would bring people in for yarning circles to be able to talk to them, but we would also establish networks of support afterwards. You know, many of our people have lost all connections with their family, with their community. We have a number of Aboriginal children that we're um, doing cultural support plans for in child welfare who have generations of being removed in their history and so we haven't been able to break the cycle so the ongoing removal is significant. Chapwurrung Gunai Gudichamara woman Victoria Green Senator Lydia Thorpe says stolen generation survivors and descendants she has spoken to are distressed by the process and as a result are not accessing the scheme. I've been to events um, particularly around Collingwood and Fitzroy where elders are coming to me with their with their piece of paper saying Aunt, auntie I can't I don't understand this can you help me can you help me you know a crumpled up letter out of their pocket and just with absolute despair on what do I do how do I go about it The man who led the development of the scheme and stood beside Premier Daniel Andrews as it was launched earlier this year says the government needs to listen. Yorta Yorta man Ian Ham is the chair of Connecting Home, a support service for the stolen generations in Victoria. I would hope that the feedback is being given to uh, the department uh, and also to the Attorney-General, who's the minister responsible for the scheme. I would hope that they're listening to this feedback and looking at these issues that are being raised and making the corrections that they have to, so that again addresses that prime principle of causing no more harm, causing no more distress to people. Mr Ham, himself a stolen generation survivor, says getting the reparation schemes right is important. This was a national calamity which was visited upon uh, Aboriginal people who were taken simply because we were born black for multiple decades right up until the mid-1970s. The importance of this scheme is that it recognises what this did to these people's lives. Many of the stolen generations have had lives which, which you could only describe as being um, traumatic, which you could only describe in an economic sense as being not, above, not much above the poverty line. This compensation scheme allows them to have some dignity. The programmatic supports around counselling, uh, community support, case management supports, they're critically important as well, so that it gives some semblance of order, uh, some semblance of positivity to uh, people for, for the remainder about- of their lives. 
1,200 eligible people for the Victorian scheme. As of October, there had only been 489 applications with 117 payments issued. A Commonwealth-run scheme for people in the NT and ACT, which started at a similar time, is outperforming Victoria's. It has had a similar number of applicants, more than 500, but has made more than double the number of payouts. Senator Thorpe says local communities need to have a bigger role in the process. We can't have a process that hurts our people even more, given you know they, their stolen generation and the trauma that's um, associated with being taken from your mother's arms. Uh, I think that process needs to be um, reviewed and it needs to be self-determined by communities and, and the people themselves. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Just before the struck and before the break, you heard the story about the, story, the Victoria, Victoria's Stolen Generations Redress Scheme, a scheme that's dysfunctional and actually re-traumatizing people. This story was presented by uh, Emma Kelloy and was produced by Cameron Goli and for NITV News and uh, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Fred Leone, you've uh, developed a career over two decades working across the Australian hip-hop scene, community cultural development, uh, education and youth sectors, uh, arts and cultural educator, youth worker and creative producer. And you're joining us on NITV Radio ahead of the upcoming Black Activism event in Melbourne that will bring together a very powerful lineup of uh, First Nations song women and uh, song men and uh, joining us to explore this event. First of all, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today on NITV Radio, and welcome to NITV Radio. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah. Now, Blacktivism is uh, a one-night special event. It's not about music and storytelling. It's music with a purpose. Yeah, it's music with a purpose, talking about the experience of Black Australia and also our neighbours over in uh, Micronesia. It's a culmination of years of work that Delene Briscoe, the artistic director, has been involved in within the music industry, within a you know current role within the community as a uh, indigenous label owner and uh, conscious artist, soul and sort of folk soul artist. So um, yeah, it's really big opportunity for the wider community to come and hear these voices that that are not often heard in this context, you know. The musicians that are coming together on that day, we've got Yudhu Yindi, Keith Dustman, yourself, you're a musician, but you're there in another capacity that night. Uh, Tell us about uh, the curation of uh, these musicians. The curation of uh, the the performers coming together was put together by uh, Delene Briscoe, who's the artistic director. They're all artists who, in their careers have spoken out about social justice issues, whether it be racism or um, genocide, uh, you know, um, the inequity of um, the social structure in general. I'm really excited to see uh, this year's version of Blacktivism, because I was involved in the first Blacktivism as the MC, and now to come back in the third year, um, 
Yeah, it's really exciting. I can't wait. Yeah, and you yourself, you're a social justice campaigner. When I was introducing you, I forgot to put activist yourself because it's something that's uh, very close to your heart, very close to what you do on everyday basis as a community leader. You're also a spokesman of the community speaking out against uh, social injustices. Yeah, I, I've been you know, involved. Like my One of my cousins is um, Cameron Dumaji, uh, called him Murunyu after he passed up on Palm Island, and it sparked the Palm Island riots. So he was a, fa- you know, a family member through my grandfather, through my grandfather's side of the family, and then uh, had a nephew die in custody in Brisbane in the Fortitude Valley in the police station with no answers given to why it happened or how it happened. So, you know, for me, it's always been about using music to tell this story of a darker side of Australia that people don't often see or the wider community don't often want to hear. And taking those stories and putting it in a way, uh, putting it into a style of music or, you know, different style, just finding innovative ways to be able to tell those stories. Plus, at the same time, using my own language as a way of decolonising, you know, this process. Like even how I'm speaking to you now and how I'm thinking to you is in a colonised mindset because I'm speaking I'm speaking in a foreign tongue. I'm not speaking my gamaram jamang. I'm not speaking my grandmother's tongue. So to how to put these processes back in place where we start taking back what's ours, including language and our stories. And it's only been in the last five, six, ten years that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander stories on a wider scope within the music industry across a whole number of genres has really pushed forward and, and uh, um, been more widely accepted across um, into a mainstream and, and creating a mainstream platform, which is really exciting and, and really a sign of the times, I hope. Yeah, it's going to be good to hear, you know, Delene's music, Bart Willoughby, Honey Lou Bennett, who has been a mainstay, you know, she was in Titters back in the day and um, still is now, uh, but also in the Black Armband, uh, Emma Donovan, Putbacks, Romaine. Dr. Romaine Morton, um, Selwyn Burns, Sorong Samurai, Sprig Mecca, Sprigger Mech, Mech, sorry, um, Tasma Keith, yeah, so, and, and you know, of course, Yoki Yindi. No other better way to end the night, I, I feel. But um, yeah, it's going to be a really amazing, yeah. amazing performance. Yeah. And it really takes, I think, you know, we, you were talking about activism a little earlier too, and, and this is called blacktivism, but it really takes that message of if no one's ever been to a rally on the street and seen how it folds out, you can come to this and it's this, it's the whole feeling of a rally, a feeling of this fight for justice, but in, in this beautiful form of self-expression, you know, uh, yeah, it's really, really powerful. And the latest figures yeah. about uh, incarceration have been released actually today. It says uh, nationally the crime rates have dropped, yet yeah. the incarceration, First Nations incarceration, has more than doubled. Yeah. yeah. How, how can you explain that? Well, it's, it comes down to it's, it's systematic racism, right? So if 60 to 70% of the population has never met an Aboriginal person, yet all they hear about is stereotypes that are, you know... Uh, uh, 
hurled at them every day through media and um, through their friendship groups and just, you know, um, growing up in communities where people are talking to each other, other non-Indigenous people, but they're not talking to Indigenous people. So they're, they're hearing all these stereotypes. And then if you have this fear of the unknown and then you say, join the police force, of course, your first thing to do when you join the police force and you get sent to an Aboriginal community is to fear, you know, have an irrational fear of what is unknown, which is the black experience. So they've only been told one thing, that people and people aren't looking for the beauty in our culture. They're just looking for the worst because that's what they fear and that's what they've grown up with. It's this boogeyman in the cupboard. And I feel as if, you know, we live in a society where colonisation started in 1788 and it never really has stopped for Aboriginal people, you know. For us to have an artistic outlet so that we don't go crazy is really important, you know. And it's important too because the message messages throughout the millennia, you know, you look back at the arts and history throughout the world and all the important social messages of those times were left in plays, were left in songs, were left in uh, a whole medium of different performing arts generation after generation. So if you look back at history and you want to find a, 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 a true sort of representation of how one certain uh, part of society lived or is living or is what, what they're facing or what you know, um, what they're going through, you look at the arts. The arts is always reflective of of what's happening on the on the ground to the people, it's grassroots. Yeah. And even when it's even when it's a million dollar production, there's still messages in there, you know, there's still messages yeah. to be given and stories to be told. Yeah. You bring together historic legends like uh, the Black Amban who've been around for many years and uh, yeah. younger generations. It's different styles of expressing themselves. Some are a little bit milder, more subtle. Others a little bit more, uh, I would say, uh, forceful in uh, the way they convey their message. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that just reflects people's personal taste, like artists' personal taste. But also it gives, I, I feel like it gives the audience, whether it's here or around the world, it gives them a bit more substance and depth of understanding around political activity within or activist activity within communities, you yeah. know, when it comes to music. Yeah. And um and to, you know, people's socioeconomic um backgrounds also in twenty twenty two you could be indigenous and grow up fairly well off, you know what I mean? Like um young people could potentially be well off these days. You know, it's not all um the voice is not coming from one certain demographic. It's coming from a wide suite of the demographic of this country in terms of Indigenous people, from the very, you know, grassroots social justice angle to activism to just outright anger, angry, you know, angry. You can find angry music. Then you can find, uh, you know, everything from, yeah, just from from the pits of despair all the way through to hope um, and love. So, yeah, it's a really colourful palette. 
So they go from um, mild to expressions of anger as well, because uh, some yeah. Of, yeah, some of the lyrics you hear are very very powerful, and you can hear there's anger and really uh, very deep feelings being expressed. This event, in my view, should not just be limited to First Nations people. The message should go out to the wider Australian community because uh, yes. the racism is uh, out there in the community. So, because First Nations people know what's happening to them, but the others don't know they, yes. they, what they, they, they are doing to First Nations people. So, the message should go out there. Yes, yeah. So, um, you know, thanks to Arts in Melbourne. The call-out will go out to a wide, varied audience. I think the last two events, I think it'll um, gain a lot of traction within the wider community to hear these stories. These untold, sometimes untold stories, but also powerful artists, storytellers, songwomen, songmen that have the ability to take you on a journey. So, yeah, I think um, people are in for a big, big... um, Great night of music and um, some mind-blowing storytelling, you know, in different formats or different genres, I should say. And uh, any further information or listeners should know how to uh, get more information about the event? Yeah, you can go to artscentermelbourne.com.au and go to and then search Blacktivism. That's B-L-A-K-T-I-V-I-S-M and go to book tickets and you can get your tickets now. But get in, you know, get in ASAP because uh, they're going fast. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully hope to see all of your beautiful faces there. Now, as usual, Fred Leone, before we part... Mike is yours. Any message you'd like to put out there or anything you'd like to add? I'd just like to say, um, hopefully, yeah, see a whole bunch of uh, smiling, beautiful faces there, ready for awesome night of music, storytelling, and history telling as well, you know, and a bit of truth telling. So, um, yeah, get on down to uh, Gabba Music's Always live an arts in a Melbourne presenting Blacktivism featuring Yoti Indy, 8th of December, Hamer Hall, 2022. Yeah, check it out. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back and now to our next story about, uh, well, the... Self-harm summit that uh, just uh, finished it uh, wrapped up uh, in New South Wales a couple of days ago. 21-year-old Natasha Swingler has lived experience of self-harm. I probably self-harmed for seven years before I actually found any kind of support and initially that was actually a teacher at school who noticed that something wasn't right. Melanie Ball from the NHS Trust in London self-harmed for many years too. I self-harmed from about the age of seven um, and that was a a very frequent and common occurrence in my life until I was around 19 or 20. Both women have been attending a self-harm summit in Sydney which has been told that the incidence is on the rise. In the last year, 390,000 Australians reported intentionally causing pain or damage to their own body. Of those, 270,000 were women. 
Professor Helen Christensen is a board member of the Black Dog Institute in Sydney. So we've got this massive number of people who are self-harming and we really don't know very much about it. Experts say shame often prevents people from getting help. Associate Professor Joe Robinson is the head of suicide prevention at Origin in Melbourne. What young people are telling us is that they find it extremely hard to communicate openly about self-harm. They find it hard to talk to the adults in their lives and the professionals in their lives because they're afraid of the the stigma that's associated with self-harm. They're afraid of being judged negatively and they're afraid of how people will react. Self-harm is a criminal offence in 45 jurisdictions around the world and it's rife in low- and middle-income countries. Dr Jalika Naip is an epidemiologist at the University of Bristol. She spent a lot of time in Sri Lanka researching self-harm and speaking with young women there. This is almost an okay way of communicating distress, whereas actually communicating it in a verbal form or in any other form is actually not approved of because women in Sri Lanka are uh, supposed to be kind of there but not really heard or seen. Other than the immense emotional ripple effects, Associate Professor David McDade from the London School of Economics told the summit, Productivity Commission data reveals that suicide and self-harm costs the Australian economy $32 billion a year. It's an enormous amount and and a large proportion of that can be avoided through effective investments in suicide and self-harm prevention strategies. First Nations mental health advocates like Leilani Darwin say there's power and healing in the sharing of stories. When people can see someone being vulnerable and sharing their own personal stories, that they have almost this moment where they feel safe. Our young ones are our future. If we don't do everything we can in our power to ensure that they live not just a longer life but that they thrive and that they're happy, then we're failing them and we're failing the continuation of our culture and our people. Natasha Swingler says the summit has begun some very important conversations about a topic which is very hard to unpack. We just can't underestimate how important it is for this to be a topic that we're really starting to discuss, starting to destigmatise because the end of the day these are not just young lives but lives of everyone at stake. Commissioners from the prestigious Lancet Journal also attended the summit and will now prepare a report into self-harm. And if this story has raised issues for you or someone you know you can get support from Lifeline at any time on 131114. Felicity Davey, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. And that was uh, Paint This Land by uh, Basby Mauro coming to you on NITV Radio this Monday, the 14th of uh, November. And this brings us to the end of today's program. Thank you very much for tuning in today. NITV Radio will be back on Wednesday with uh, more stories from uh, right across uh, the country. Till next time, bye for now. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 